0: Hey, guys, I am Caleb Giddings. And I'm Jack. And Keith is still visiting the ancestral homelands of the bullpup, apparently. So whether you think that's Austria or Israel, uh, you know, whatever, that's up to you. Uh, The the aug is made in Austria, right? I don't actually.
1: Yes, it is made in Austria.
0: I know you could take my knowledge of the Steyr aug, and if you poured it into a shot glass, you would have room left to uh for mix-ins. yeah yeah for mixments speaking of though apparently keith has returned from his visit to the homelands so we're just going to add him to the sh- this episode live on the air assuming his wi-fi actually works because yeah, I... for long-term listeners uh keith's wi-fi is about as reliable as a uh why is everyone keith's wi-fi is about as reliable as a uh as a Middle Eastern gold dealer who promises you it's 24 karat gold. For dealer. you,
2: my friend. For yeah. you, my friend.
0: For you, my friend. My friend. My friend. My friend. My friend. The number my of times I my called friend, the price. My friend. friend. <laughs> All right. So uh Keith, we are, since we're adding you to this episode in progress, and people just have to deal with the technical uh aspect of this uh, first off this episode is brought to you by Taurus USA and guns.com to learn about the reliable affordable firearms made by Taurus for personal protection home defense and popping locks and skulls you could go to Taurususa.com. and if you'd like to buy one there's a little button on that website on that product page for that gun that says guns.com you click that button you go to guns.com you put in some credit card information some ffl information and two to five business days later the gun shows up and you pick it up and then you have your new uh lock popper as it were uh so anyway today uh we are actually addressing one of the reader um or listener i don't know why i still call them readers these people can't read uh that's why they're listening to podcasts <laughs>
2: their audio format <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
0: Well, uh, so one of the things that people wanted us to talk about is the rise and fall of para Ordnance that became para-USA that became nothing. And it's actually a brand that I have uh, a lot of familiarity with. One of my very first industry events was co-hosted by para-USA at the time, Crimson Trace, uh, Blackwater, as in like scary Blackwater. And not the Pirates of Darkwater, which was a thing I used to get confused. Uh, great show, by the way. Underrated banger of a show. Uh, so that was one of my very first industry events. was actually hosted by Para. And I had a really good relationship with them uh, right up until they got purchased by
2: the Cerberus Group. So... Bah,
1: bah, bah. I know. That, it's that as didn't
2: the, turn out well for a lot of people. That didn't turn that out well for purchasing thing. anyone.
0: I mean, it's it is we are just now in 2023 have Remington as a brand name that is making ammunition again that I would actually willingly put in my guns. And that's because it's all made by Vista. Uh-huh. And you know, Remington's firearms production has gone, and you know, we can kind of talk about this a little bit, but so, for people who don't know, what the hell was Para was Para USA or Para Ordnance? Well, it was a company that made for the time they made double stack nineteen elevens before double stack nineteen elevens were cool,
2: is what they did. Right. And like hipster double stack
0: nineteen eleven.
1: Well, it was no, it
0: wasn't. It wasn't hipster. It was the mainstream double stack nineteen
2: eleven for right, a while. Like, Yeah, because it was the only one. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it
1: wasn't. We should really define here that there it was not a 2011. no it was it, not a 2011 and a 1911 are very similar but one big difference and that's the frame mm-hmm. the frame on a 2011 is a two-part frame you have the what I probably the dust cover unit and then you have the grip unit those come together um and they look I used to see guys that would have like two to three different grip modules for their 2011. Depending on what they were shooting, this is not—it's not as done as much anymore. But the para ordnance guns were double stack 1911s using OEM magazines. Yeah,
0: and and it's a significant difference because one of the other things too is you could take a 1911 slide, like a traditional 45 ACP 1911 slide, and it would fit on the para ordnance frame because that. In our first bit of para ordinance history is how they got their start. They did not initially make guns. I mean, well, they made firearms in the eyes of the ATF. Right. But
2: the original but not a complete Euro... functional firearm that yeah. you purchase from a store. The original Para Ord product was a double-stack
0: 45 ACP frame that they would sell to gunsmiths and you know, uh, that they would sell the gunsmiths, that they would sell to agencies. There's a very famous federal law enforcement agency uh, that, you know, rescues hostages that had a ton of these frames and built double-stack 45 ACP in 1911. Did you, you say so, this was a team? A team yeah, that yeah. rescues hostages? A, a team that rescues hostages. And that was like, that was, and, you know, people started being like, whoa, you know, because a the original frame would hold 14 rounds of 45 acp and when tuned by a professional 1911 ninja gunsmith would work and that's that's the thing is tuned by a professional 1911 ninja gunsmith so you have to have to get these frames and really to get any 1911 to work at the agency level you have to have a full-time gunsmith and a bunch of spare parts and a large budget and a bunch of other fun things so that was kind of the uh, the origin story for Para. They started making their own guns. They started making full guns. The first gun was the fourteen forty-five, which was unsurprisingly a double stack forty-five ACP that held fourteen rounds. And for a lot of people, and they were for a lot of people, that's they were originally also made in Canada. The frames were made in Canada, imported oh, to Canada. to uh, North Carolina which is where they were then sold out to everybody else uh eventually it was around uh, i want to say oh uh yeah so here's a here's a a clue on who they were selling a lot of frames and stuff to because their first u.s headquarters was set up in pineville north carolina hmm (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm, guys, mm,
2: if geography, guys,
0: if you don't know what's around Pineville, Google is your friend. All right, I can't even help you. So they they started like going hard into the U.S. market around, like in the U.S. consumer market around 2008 2009 which is when i got into the brand at a media event the first media event i ever went to no not the first one of the first uh media events i ever went to and at that time was also when they were really going hard in the paint with their lda system which i think what at the time i thought the lda system was stupid now this version of me thinks that the LBA system was ahead of its time. Like they basically put a lightweight revolver esque trigger. That was a not fully tensioned uh, striker into a double stack 1911 frame. And I'm like, that was actually really, really ahead of its time. And they just didn't realize they were making the gun that a bunch of gun nerds would want in 2023. And obviously, that gun will never exist. Sad face. So, but Jack, you actually had a Para. So tell us about your experience. with.
1: So para. I had a, I had kind of a, my Para was different. Um, it was special. If you guys are familiar, there were, um the 187th Infantry Reg- Regiment of the 104th Airborne, the Rakassans, did a unit pistol from Para Eleven. Uh, from para ordinance. Mm-hmm. Uh it was a high cap forty-five in tan with black grip, black controls, and all the little all the little bits were black, and it had Bracassants down the side. And I had one of these walk into my life, um, a guy had deployed, come back, bought the unit handgun, and then years later just decided he wanted. So I ended up picking it up and for a while had one. I shot it, I was was generally happy with the gun. Um, I do remember it not enjoying hollow points,
2: and uh, yeah, there there if was you're... a there was a long era in the late two thousands to early twenty tens where there were just there were still handguns that you had to accept wouldn't run JHP, right. which is a
0: crazy thought in twenty twenty three, right? Like, oh, my gun just doesn't feed common, reliable, defensive ammo. What madness is this?
1: Well, I'll say that at the time I I have I've had like this weird full circle movement in my brain. Where at the time I was like, Well, it's forty-five, so I don't really need
2: ball jack-
0: ball.
1: jacket at Hollow Point. And then later in my life, I was like, Well, you really should get defensive ammunition for your defensive firearm. And if you can't use defensive ammunition, you should seek out something that should. Uh, this was my Glock phase when that was just basically all I ran. And now I'm like, should you use defensive ammunition? Yeah. But plenty of dudes aren't getting up from ball.
2: Like, uh,
1: do it's
2: your part. It's better than an empty gun by right. a long, long way.
1: Do your part and you're going to be okay. But you should try for the best, which is why my 2011 absolutely loves hollow points. It, it runs like a charm. It, I I have a, 2019 which is a different variation from one particular manufacturer um but I do remember the para with ball I generally shoot it all day and not have any problems If I put hollow points in there I was gonna have a hiccup or two
0: the Mm -hmm. reason I
1: got rid of the gun magazines started drying up
0: oh yes and that, that became a problem
1: I also got out of 45. I have 145 left in my life, and that'll probably be the last and only one I have. So I think if I could find a double stack, I think they called them 18.9s, is what. 18.9, yes.
0: That was a. So I had several 18.9. Oh, I actually had, I had two different 18.9s, one of which was the. uh the Tac 5 or the Tac S which was the LDA with a magwell and adjustable sights and I'm like and I did that gun dirty. I did not show that gun the love that it deserved. Uh I have talked shit about it on the internet and it was genuinely a, a like a, a pretty good gun. Ah.
1: Yeah, it's it's in hindsight I wasn't treating my gun the way I should have been treating my gun. Like, if I had um if I had something else I could do, some some other way to go about it, I would have done different things with that para. Um, I wish I'd gotten a para eighteen nine when I could have.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: Like knowing what I know now, that gun would run like a sewing machine and Probably just the amount of holsters it would fit,
0: because short of I the wish... grip,
1: everything else is nineteen eleven. If I remember correctly, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wish I kept my eighteen nine, or uh, both of
2: them actually. But uh, let's turn to Keith. Keith, did you have any paras? Keith never owned a paras. Of uh, as not. as they were rolling out, Keith was a fresh-faced jarhead who was like. AR-10 M16A4 clone is life. <laughs> right, of course. If you're like, huh, a 1911. What
0: am I gonna do with
2: 1911? Is silly. I did. I did quickly jump into a 45 phase, but it was with the M&P 45, not mm. uh, not the 1911, bros. Not
0: the 1911 bros. Yeah, it's funny. Like the whole thing with the 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 para, and so we'll get now a little bit into the downfall of the brand because uh, I had was I had such uneven experiences with the paras that I had because I had a I had a para uh, that they called the instead of calling it a commander, they called it a Lieutenant Colonel because those are both E-O-5s, uh, which is silly. But I thought, again, <laughs> at the time, I was like, you know this what? is dumb. You know, now, I was like, that's That funny. plays well. I
2: like that. Yeah, yeah. The so I had, a,
0: I had a nine mil, uh, four inch, like commander size that ran like an absolute Swiss watch. I had a 745 LDA, which is a regular-ass single-stack 1911, but with the LDA trigger that didn't run. I had a 1640 uh, to shoot USPSA Limited with that worked pretty good. And I had a TAC-S that worked really well if you shot 124-grain-plus-p NATO ammunition out of it and only out of two of the magazines that I had because it was just kind of a finicky... It was a princess. I think that, again, now, knowing what I know about that gun, I could have made that gun work well. But and, – and the reason why the, the, the story of Para is a sad story is because they were a company that, yeah, sure, they would have QC issues, that sometimes guns wouldn't work out of the box, things like that. But they were never afraid to try something. They were so never afraid no, to try a crazy idea.
1: There's one other thing I think we should take note of. And that is, they did come up during the assault weapons ban. Oh, yeah, there's that too. And they manufactured all their stuff and was made in Canada. And if you wanted high-capacity magazines, they'd sell them to you. Because all of their magazines, all of them, it happened, were built before the ban went into place.
0: Mm -hmm. Just so happened. It just so happened to work how, out that way. It's like, I, what a
1: coincidence. I couldn't have told you how likely something like that would be. Probably, probably really unlikely. In fact, the ATF, as I understand it, this is a story I've heard through other people. The ATF also thought it unlikely. And we like, we want to come up and see your shop. And they were like, we're in Canada.
0: Yeah, come on down, we get this
1: bag of dicks. Or as our friends in, in Ontario say, La Poye a Like, <laughs> Oh, that was
2: perfect. You want to come at, see your facility. You, and the ATF kind of had here. to just
1: take there and fucking take it. They were like, what are we going to do? They're like, we're in Canada, bro. We can't go there. We're not We're not cops in Canada. We're <laughs> just maple syrup enjoyers.
0: Um. <laughs> No, they were – and it was funny because they were a company that – and they made some really cool products. Like they had a gun, uh, the 1045 Warthog or something. It was just a – it was like a – okay, so you guys know what an officer size 1911 is, but make it double stack. And they had an LDA version and an SAO version. And like you have to remember, if you weren't alive during the assault weapons ban – That, you know, or if you were, but you were too young to own guns, there was such a quote unquote arms race going on to build like the biggest capacity 45s that you could get. Right. And cause that was the, that was the golden age of 45s because we're like, well, if I'm only going to get 10 rounds, I might as well make them as big as I can. And people made some really wild guns and para made some really out of pocket shit that was on that. I now look back on fondly and be like, Cerberus did those guys dirty, which brings us to the sad part of this episode because para as a company was never what you would think of as financially healthy (laughs) Um, (laughs) to put it mildly. And when they're, you know, when the government, which provided them a lot of revenue for the frames decided that they were just going to get glocks instead uh, or they were gonna if they were gonna do a 1911 it would be single stack uh, you know that when that
2: money went away they pivoted into the era was a weird one in in the marine corps it,
0: yeah
2: buy a lot of guns that don't work send them uh, to our gunsmiths to kind of make them work I had a, uh, a, a MUSOC 1911 that
0: was trash, by the way. That gun was garbage. Oh, it's not really a MUSOC gun because it wasn't issued to the Marines. It's literally built to the exact same specifications and it doesn't it, fucking
2: work. It's, it except just for a just seven round That's magazine. That's like saying the, uh, the FN Colt M4 is not a real M4. It's got all the same parts, it doesn't have the auto trigger group. Okay. Ni- all
1: right. Ni- 1911s that, from the military side of things, I think actually matter. AMU, CAG,
0: that's it. Uh, frig, AMU's barely, barely even used in 1911s. Now they're using, because of the way, here's a fun side note, because of the way the service pistol rules are written, the AMU can now use any SIG P320 because the actual gun is the serialized trigger it, part. Is the so fire control unit. Put them so in... Can, hyper accurate ladding. chassis <laughs> they could just do whatever the hell they want so cuz i was just at a match with amu dudes and they were running their service pistol pistols and they're like sig p320 x factor you know limited edition guns i'm like service pistol my left ball but anyway <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's, it's in That's here here that there. serial
0: number Now we know why they did the it. It was strictly for the AMU. Yeah. yeah, of course. Because it's like they needed technological help to keep beating everybody's ass. Um so what happened though was they were uh they were acquired by uh, Cerberus. And if you don't know what Cerberus was, was it was a bunch of scum sucking venture capitalists who had the idea that they were going to bring all of these firearms related brands together under one roof. And then they were going to, you know, apply smart business practices and make unprofitable brands profitable. And there's going to be knowledge sharing and design sharing and resource sharing between everything. And it sounds like a
2: great idea on paper.
0: Yeah. And the brands that have survived that are none. Um in any meaningful way, none of the brands have survived that. And
2: part of they're, that they're all they're all owned by other companies now. It's, it's, it's yeah, part really of that
0: was out. due to political fallout after Sandy Hook. Uh part of that was due to probably not the best financial management from people who are supposed to be the good big brains in the room. And what you saw for a brief period was para. And you're talking about the downfall here of Para and focusing specifically on that was all of a sudden Para, the number of guns Para was making dropped. And then you saw Remington 1911 start to get added to Remington's lineup and you knew that's where those para guns were as they were Remington, they were becoming the remington 1911s and they were terrible and they were terrible because they weren't investing any like any qc processes that para had
2: before that just went right out the window in the name of volume
0: because those Remington—that
2: 19... be said of most of the brands too. Like, yeah. you saw Remington as a whole take a dive. Seven hundreds and eight seventies guns that they had made for decades started shitting the bed. Right. Remember when that that really awful period when you would not recommend a new
0: production eight seventy to, to a friend as a home defense gun? You'd be like, "Uh, can you find a used one? You can't. Yeah. Okay. You, you're about...
2: like, did you did you buy that new? Ugh. Yeah."
0: That was a that was a bad, that was a really bad time. But you know, and with para for me, it's it's disappointing because I liked the brand. I knew people who worked there, and it's more disappointing now to me than it was in 20 you know, 2013 or whenever it was that Para officially made its last gun. And it's because like many things, the youthful version of me didn't appreciate what I had at the time. The fact that there was this brand out there that again was willing to do wild shit throw the spaghetti at the wall, see if it sticks, see if people want to buy these guns. And now I'm like, you know, we did not appreciate Peril when we had them. And we, at, at, at least for me, I'm sorry about that. You know, I talked shit about some of the guns, rightfully so in some cases. But it's, it's one of those where it was a brand that was they were willing to actually think outside the box, not like pay lip service to it and then make the, you know, a striker fired nine mil, but like actually be like, well, what's something that nobody's actually ever done. Oh, put a double action trigger in a 1911. Let's that's us. We're going to, we're going to be those guys. Did it work? Yeah. But yeah. So that's kind of it for this episode. It's a short one. You guys wanted to know what happened to Para and we are uh, for the record working on a longer episode that goes into, like, a does a deep dive on the whole Cerberus thing. Because for us, that was something we all experienced. For a lot of the guys that are listening to the show, that's ancient history, which is disrespectful, but it is.
2: Um, that, but yeah, it's... Something... a defining moment in modern gun cultural, especially mm-hmm. on the political side of things. Well, of think about the brand... How, that... how business gets run now, everywhere, was... Influenced by what happened there. I mean, we do we even have does AAC still exist? Uh yeah, they're owned by PSA. Yeah, right, exactly. Oh by PSA, by Palmetto State. Palmetto State Armory owns, owns A's. Right. The, DPMS real, on, is the real
1: heroes of the gun industry.
2: Palmetto no State, show. yeah. Palmetto, no Palmetto State. 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 Uh, so, they're, they're the quiet giant. And their ammo is, you know what? Doing all right. I live in the Palmetto State in South
0: Carolina, and I get their ads during the morning news, and they're basically like, we're Palmetto State Armory. And you know what we do? We make fuck guns for Americans. You like that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I fucking told you. How do you like that? And I'm like, okay, Palmetto State. Yes. Okay. Gosh, I think geez, I think we should go building. to the Palmetto
1: State Armory and get a tour.
0: That would be awesome. Uh, I went to their media event last year, the Gathering that they have, which is not far from me. It was a ho, you know, bunch of different manufacturers there, lots of brands, just a great time. So shout out to Palmetto State Armory for being the secret good guys that no one that people don't necessarily realize are the good guys, but they're definitely the good guys, and that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is it for this week's episode? Thank you for liking, sharing, watching, listening, doing all those things that help us grow the channel, grow and uh, grow the, the the channel. Frick, man, it's been so good this episode. I hadn't had any really bad Words. bubbles. Anyways, we will be back next week with an all new episode.